Good morning, everybody. <laughs> you know, awful lot of folks in the kids' ministry today. <laughs> that was cool. I mean, you know, it's good that they're back there. Uh, good morning. I'd like to invite you to turn with me to the book of Daniel. Um, we're going to kind of do an overview of, of Daniel this morning. Um, two things uh, before we get to that, before we get to Daniel. Uh, first of all, uh, we are having communion today. Uh, in a few minutes, we're going to celebrate communion together. Uh, so if you did not get a chance to get a fellowship cup, they're available back where Bruce is. Um, and uh, also, the uh, hygiene drive. I just wanted to say thank you so much to everybody who has supported that. We've got a big pile of items back there. It looks like we've, uh, we, we are going to accomplish our goal. Um, uh, but it does look like there's apparently some weather in the, in the mix for Wednesday night, uh, something. We're not really sure what that is. So uh, they decided, we decided to, to move that packing event to Tuesday. Uh, I don't know if that uh, means that you're uh, not available to be there because we're moving it from Wednesday to Tuesday. Uh, maybe that means that you weren't available on Wednesday, but you are available on Tuesday. Who knows? But um, it is going to be Tuesday just so that we don't have to deal with uh, weather uh, complications. But thank you very much. Anybody, if you're interested in helping out with that, please see Katie graves Davy. She's going to, she's raising her hand right there. So, um, all right. So here we are. Uh, Bridges to Babylon, the book of Daniel, week 11. Week 11. This is the final week of Daniel. This series goes to 11. Um, if you've been following along in this series, great. If you've been here all along, wonderful. But if this is like your first week here, like you picked the perfect week to be here because we're actually going to just say, like sum up the whole book um, this week. We're going we're gonna to wrap it all up. We're going to review the whole thing. So um, I also wanted to, uh, us to take uh, some time to think through how we can use the book of Daniel to, to gain wisdom on living in the here and now in 21st century America or 21st century Baltimore. Um, you know, I was thinking about how um, the, the Ravens play the Steelers today, which is, which is always like a time of of tension in, in Baltimore for some reason. It, it feels like there have been seasons where um, the Ravens like haven't done so well, um, but if we beat the Steelers, like at least that was something. Um, you know, on, on one hand, so on one hand, like anytime the Ravens play the Steelers, it's like gonna be an important game regardless of the scenario, but it's like gonna be a drama. It's gonna, there's gonna be tension. On the other hand, each of those individual games is played in a context that matters for that particular moment of that particular season. So today's Ravens-Steelers game is going to be a different scenario than the games that they played against each other last year or the year before that, right? Because with each game, with every game, the standings are different. In a similar way, the book of Daniel on its own, um, it's a powerful book. It's a powerful drama. If you just read the book of Daniel, and that was your first book, first introduction to the Bible, without having read anything else in the Bible, you would still get a compelling tale of a group of young boys who were ripped from their home and made to serve a king in a foreign land. What we get in the book of Daniel is we get a story of conviction, we get a story of appropriate compromise, uh, we, we get a story of courage, even in the face of empire and even in the face of of death. On the other hand, we got to consider, though, that the standings of this particular game, right? The, the book of Daniel exists in a larger drama that stretches across the entire 
Bible. So if, if someone asks you, we, we actually started here in week one, we talked about this as well. If, if someone asks you, what is the story, the story arc, or we might call the meta-narrative, what is the story, uh, the story of the entire Bible? If someone asks you what the story of the Bible is, what, what would you say? You know, I think some of us might say, you know, well, it tells the, 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 of how earth was created, and then it, it, it gives a lot of stories for, of like individuals for like faith lessons, and then, and then Jesus comes in and teaches us about love and stuff by dying on the cross, and then they start the church, right? If you would say something like that, more or less, no worries. It, it's all true, because this is so important, though. I, I want us to take a minute and review kind of the big picture. The big picture again, uh, and then kind of think about, A, where the book of Daniel sits in the big story, and B, where do we fit in that story? So, the Bible in five minutes. The first episode we might call creation. Genesis 1 and 2. This is where God, we see God create a beautiful cosmos, with living things, dynamic things, life giving way to life, and human beings. God creates human beings that, that God desires to live with in harmony. The problem comes in the second episode that we might call the fall, where humanity rebels against their creator and decides to make choices out of selfish desire rather than live, rather than live in step and rhythm with, the God, with God that created them. Simple rule-breaking leads, leads quickly to much worse sin, and then sin kind of spreads like a virus throughout all of humanity. But then, then God does something very unexpected. In the third episode, he, he creates what we might call a rescue mission to save the world. Now, you might expect that, that if God, the God of the universe, is going to save the world, he would do so with like a grand display of power. But that is, that is very much not the story that we find in the Bible. It's very much not our story. No, what, what God does, Genesis 12, he, he calls this old nomad wandering around the middle of the desert to follow him. And, and this guy's name is Abram, or later called Abraham. And God promises Abraham that eventually, hey, the entire cosmos, the entire world is actually gonna be blessed by your decision to follow God. Thus begins the episode that we might call Israel. And the story of Israel is a very, very important one. And, and sadly, what the church has done over the centuries is turn the stories of Israel, stories like the book of Daniel, or like Daniel and the lion's den, for instance, we've turned these stories into a lot of individual tales that kind of teach us lessons about faith. And that's not untrue, but what we see in the Bible is that God establishes Israel with the understanding that they would be a beacon, a beacon to the world, the idea was that when other nations saw Israel's relationship with God, they would glorify God themselves. And this actually did happen occasionally, but far more often, Israel just ends up following those surrounding nations more than they follow God. And at times they even forget about God and they start to worship the false idols of those surrounding nations and then even their leaders, leaders like King David and King Solomon, the, the best of, of what of, of Israel's kings, of what Israel's kings had to offer, even those leaders, and it gets far worse, start treating their people unjustly. You, you might say that the two fundamental sins of the people of Israel was that they, they failed to love God 
and they failed to love their neighbors. Of course, the truth is that these are the two fundamental sins of the whole world, right? The, the, the difference was that, that Israel was supposed to be different. They, they were supposed to be blessed to be a blessing, so God warned them, and he warned them, and he warned them, and you read through the, basically the second half of the Old Testament, and you see again and again and again God saying, if you do this, there's going to be consequences. But Israel just couldn't fight their way out, their, their, their own way out of the cycle of sin. And, and the problem was that the, the ones who had been the oppressed, the ones who would have been oppressed in, in Egypt, eventually become the oppressors. And Israel began to build a name for itself rather than build the name of God. And that, that's where the fourth episode begins. The fourth episode is important because this is where we find the book of Daniel. And it also could be argued that that episode, that everything we've been talking about for the past 11 weeks, this is the episode called Exile. And this, this story, this, this episode goes all the way up to the baby in the manger. The fourth episode's called Exile, and, and we've, we've been learning all about this episode over the past 11 weeks. Daniel isn't the only book of the Bible that deals with exile. There are many of them. But, but basically what we see is Israel's conquered, first by the Assyrians, and then by the Babylonians, and then by the Medo-Persians, and the Greeks, and the Romans. Some of this we learned about through the story of Daniel itself. Other parts we learned about through his through kind of historic interpretation of Daniel's dreams. Uh, throughout the book of Daniel, what we see um, uh, is, is Daniel having these, these apocalyptic visions. Um, what do I mean by apocalyptic? Apocalyptic just means reveal or revelation or revealing. So God reveals things to Daniel through these visions. And as we've learned, some of these things actually are just, it's just basic history. It can be explained by history. Daniel hears about the coming wars, the, the Persian wars. He hears about the conquest of Alexander the Great. He hears about the successor kingdoms that were set up after his death. He hears about the future kings that are going to fight over the land of Israel. Kings that would do horrible things to Israel and to her people and to her temple. But, but then Daniel also hears about something else. We see this in Daniel 7. Daniel has this one particular vision where he, he, he sees one like a son of man one like a human being who will one day approach God or what Daniel calls the ancient of days and he's going to be handed, the son of man, this one who's like a human being is going to be handed a great dominion, an everlasting kingdom and he will put the world to rights and he shall reign forever and ever. The reason why I said this episode takes us right up to the Christmas story is because the coming of Jesus was the start of episode five. So creation, fall, Israel, exile, Christ. This episode we, we call Christ, and we're going to be in this episode actually starting uh, on Christmas Eve and going all the way through Easter. We're going we're gonna to use the Gospel of John to learn about the life of Jesus and how he was, well, the, the series is going to be called God in Our Midst. 
who, who, who gave us this new way of being human, a new way out of exile, and leads us into the promised land of God's kingdom that he announces. Jesus comes onto the pages of history and says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The time of exile is over. Follow me into a whole new way of being human. And Jesus leads us into this promised land, this kingdom which he is establishing, Allah, Daniel 7, for all humanity, Jew plus Gentile, on earth as it is in heaven. So by conquering sin, death, and evil, by his sacrificial love on the cross, Jesus dies for humanity and then is raised by God to glory. Jesus made the way out of exile and then he invites all of us to follow him out of the tomb. The thing is, there's two more episodes to the story after the time, after the earthly ministry. After, after the time of earthly ministry, um, uh, of Jesus' earthly ministry, comes the time of the church. Episode six, church. The church is a, is a gathering. It's an assembly of Jesus' followers committed to living out the way of Jesus until his return. If Israel's two fundamental sins were failure to love God and failure to love others, Jesus' followers should be known for, for doing those two exact things. Episode 6, which we could call the church, begins in Acts chapter 1 and goes for 2,000 years all the way to this moment right now. As I said before, the church is known for loving God and loving others, or at least it should be, right? In Christ we follow Jesus' way out of exile, the way of sacrificial love. Jesus teaches us, you guys want to know how, it, how you're going to get out of exile? It's not going to be by the sword. It's not going to be by another conquering king who will fail you. It will be through the way of sacrificial love. The, the, the way of the cross is the way out of exile. Jesus was Israel's representative Messiah. He was ultimately the fulfillment to the promise that God made to Abraham. Now in Christ, all humanity, Jew and Gentile, all humanity is now grafted into the, the, the people of Israel. So we are all now God's rescue mission to save the world. In Christ, we are set free from sin, death, and evil because we've accepted Jesus' gift of salvation. In Christ... We both return to the harmony with our creator that we lost at the fall, and we also look forward to the day that he will return and set up his rule and reign here. Our, our hope this morning is not that when we die, we might go to heaven one day. Our ultimate hope is that God is going to establish his rule and reign, establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And that's episode seven. The episode that is yet to arrive, but, the, but that we anticipate. We live in anticipation of that final episode, the consummation of all things, the restoration of all things, when God wipes every tear away from every eye and makes all things new. So what can we, those of us who are a part of the church, living in episode six, following the way of Jesus and anticipating his return, what can we learn from the book of Daniel? The book of Daniel is a story for, of what it looks like for God's people to be faithful to God while living in Babylon. Throughout the Bible, especially in the book of Revelation, what we see, Babylon, we see Babylon is used as an archetype of what it looks like when humans are unified in rebellion against God. 
The fundamental problem we've seen in Babylon, we saw it all throughout, especially the first part of the um, first half of the book of Daniel, the fundamental sin was the sin of pride. Especially when, when that pride drives a people, and this is anybody, any, 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 any empire, any people, drives a, a, a people to exalt national identity up to the heavens and then kind of uh, stamp it with a false sense of divine authority. I mean, that was the sin of the Tower of Babel, right? Humanity forgot about God, and, and they said, hey, let's, what we're going to do is we're going to build this temple, we're going to build this tower to the heavens, and we're going to make a name for ourselves. God's people everywhere are called to resist this. They were called to resist it in Daniel's day, and they're called to resist it today because Jesus is our king, except no substitutes. We continue to have to learn this lesson today. We continue to fall for, unfortunately, the lies of, of national idolatry. It's good to love our country. I think our country is a good place to live, and, and I think it's got a rich history, warts and all. I, think, I thank God for the United States, and I am glad to be an American. But the truth is that America makes a horrible God. If you place your hope in the Constitution, the American flag, the Democratic Republic, a political party or a political leader, all of those things will fail you. It's not that they might fail you. If, you know, it's not that they might fail you, like, gosh, if we don't elect the right people, uh, you know, the whole world's going to fall apart. No, they will fail you. Remember, placing our hopes in idols not only dishonors God as the one true king, it also does a disservice to whatever it is you're putting in the place of God. The Constitution, for an example, the Constitution is a tool that we use to hope, help promote justice and prosperity. When we turn it into a God or claim that it is like God's divinely appointed instrument, it will fail us. Our job as Christians is to resist defining our identity by whatever nation we are a part of and instead declare our primary allegiance to God alone. But we live in the real world. And Christians are not called to be like a separatist cult who are only concerned with ourselves and not really concerned with the things of this world, you know. No, we, we are blessed to be a blessing. Not only are we to be a part of this world, not conform to the things of this world, like Paul says in Romans 12, right? But, but we are called to live in this world. Not only are we called to be a part of this world, we are, we are the ones who place our hope in the truth that God has already started the process of new creation. We are living in anticipation of what God is going to do one day to wipe every tear away from every eye and make all things new. Every, uh, us more than anyone else in the world should care about this world that we're living in because we have hope. So every time we show love to another human being, it matters to eternity. And I think Daniel, Daniel shows us that brilliantly. And he shows us that in, I think, three ways. I think that he shows us three ways that we can do that. And because I'm a party animal, um, I th- I, they all start with P. I believe Daniel teaches us to pray. I believe Daniel teaches us to participate. And I believe that Daniel calls us to posture. Number one, pray. Daniel was a praying man. 
Chapter 2, he told his friends to seek God's mercy when he was almost killed by the king for being a wise man who might not be able to interpret the king's dream. In chapter 6, the king declares that it is illegal to pray to anything other than the king himself. But Daniel stands by his convictions. He resists idolatry and he prays three times a day in the room with open windows. And then in chapter 9, oh, chapter 9, pray through chapter 9. We see Daniel make this prayer of adoration and confession and supplication to God. He goes to the the awesome and mighty God in a voice that speaks for all of Israel and says, Lord, we, I'm paraphrasing, but Lord, we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we've done, by what we've left undone. Heal us, Lord, as only you can. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but Daniel knew that that time in prayer would be key to helping him navigate life in the real world. And again, as we talked about when we we did chapter 9, I just love that Daniel uses that word over and over and over again. We. He speaks in the plural. Daniel did pray three times a day. But but what does prayer look like for you? I I believe that, that, that just... 15 minutes alone, in a chair without screens. You don't need your phone for this. 15 minutes alone in a chair without screens, talking to God would do wonders for anyone's life. 15 minutes of just sitting and and prayerfully reflecting. Maybe it's at the beginning of the day. Maybe it's at the end. Maybe it's in the middle. I don't know what it is for you. but, But taking an intentional time every day to spend Uh, with God will do amazing things for your life. Oftentimes, you know, we'll we'll tell someone that, hey, I'm praying for you. What exactly does that mean? You know, thoughts and prayers, right? I I could do a better job of this myself, and I'm a pastor, but I I think that a far better thing than to say I'm praying for you is to ask someone if you could pray with them rather than pray for them. The writer Tim Harlow, he, he talks about how when we pray with someone, it acknowledges two very important things. First, it, it acknowledges, it tells the person that we care about their pain. We, we give a crap about what they're going through. We, we might even empathize and sympathize. But it also tells that person that you believe in a God who also cares about their pain. In fact, you believe in a God who cares about their pain far more than either of you do. I love how when Daniel prays in chapter 9, he just repeatedly uses that word, we. Prayer isn't a selfish act, or at least it shouldn't be. See, oftentimes prayer is, it can be offering to share another person's burdens. I know what you're going through. I hear what you're going through. Would, would you take a moment and just pray with me? Can, can I pray for you? Could we just sit in silence for a few moments and just ask God to speak to us? Oftentimes, prayer is offering to share another person's burdens. Prayer says, I I don't want you to have to suffer alone. And I'm asking for peace. I'm asking for courage. I'm asking for energy for, for you. When you can't feel like, when you feel like you can't get through the day, I want to sit there with you. I want to pray to God with you. I want you to know that I am here and that God is here. Love God, love others, right? It doesn't need to be anything eloquent. It doesn't need to be anything liturgical. It, it, it just needs to be honest. 
this past Friday, right in the back, back of the room there, there, there was a wedding rehearsal here, and I, I was just here because I was waiting to lock the place up. I, wasn't, I didn't do the wedding. But, but I'm standing in the back, and I'm, I'm waiting for everything to, to finish up, and, and I get into the conversation, get into a conversation with the pastor uh, who's officiating the wedding. We, we talk a while about life and ministry, and when it's time to leave, I, I go to shake his hand. Nice to meet you, sir. And he takes my hand, and when I do, he puts his other hand on my shoulder and says, let me just pray for you. Let me just pray. And what does he do? He prays for me, and then he prays for you all. He prays for New Hope Community Church. He says, let me, let me, let, I just pray that, that God would, would use this church to announce his kingdom. That, that, that I would pray that, that God would use this church to proclaim his gospel, the good news that Jesus is on the throne and that God loves us. It, it was a great moment that, that someone would care enough to do that for someone that they had only met 10 minutes earlier. That's a powerful picture of love right there. So first of all, Daniel teaches us to pray. Second, I believe that Daniel teaches us to participate. I think that the thing that hit me like a hammer upside the head studying the book of Daniel is that Daniel participated in two things with furious devotion. First, he participated in his faith. He stood for his convictions as a follower of the one true God, even in the face of death. But he also participated in life in Babylon. You might have expected Daniel to live a life shouting, you know, thus always to tyrants. In fact, being as close to the king as he was, he probably would have had lots of possibilities, lots of opportunities to assassinate the king. But repeatedly, Throughout the book of Daniel, we see him and his friends take their devotion to their faith and use it to fuel and instruct life in the situation in which God had placed them. In these stories, we never see Daniel once sacrificing his convictions. But when the time came for him to stand with God and God alone, we we saw him do just that. He will get into the lion's den if that's where if that's where his convictions lead him. But evidently, Daniel did so in a way that only elevated his status in Babylon. I mean, what does that mean for us? Well, first of all, I think it means that we are called to participate in our faith in in the way that Daniel participated in his. We're called to live a life of devotion to God and stand for our convictions when it's time for us to do so. As, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. What does is, what is a life of devotion to God look like? It, it looks like what we might call spiritual disciplines. Prayer, fasting, the study of scripture, the fellowship with other believers and I believe the best way to do that is in house churches and in small groups, um, the practice of Sabbath, um, and, and friendship, fellowship, koinonia with other believers. These, these things are what it looks like to live out your faith. I mean, thankfully, we live in a part of the world that does allow us to practice those freely. But of course, with freedom comes responsibility. And the knowledge that our actions are, witnessing, uh, are, are witnesses to a watching world our actions bear witness to the watching world. When, when, for, idness, uh, for, when, for instance, an individual or a family makes a commitment that attendance at a Sunday worship service is a non-negotiable rhythm of life, that means something to a watching world. 
and you're in that position and you say, I'm sorry, but my kids aren't available on Sunday morning. They're not available for the play rehearsal and they're not available for the soccer game. When we take that stand, it matters to a watching world. Hebrews 10.26 calls on us to not neglect meeting together. On the other hand, it's for our freedom that we have been set free, as Paul says in Galatians. So, for instance, if you are a person who is known for your commitment to faith, you are known for your commitment to worship, and then a friend calls you on a Saturday night in pain, how much more of a powerful witness is it when you go and be with the friend rather than come to a church service because you don't live a life of rules, you live a life of relationship? You live a life following God. I don't know what that specific circumstance looks like for you, but what I know is that we are called to participate in the real world while following the very real God. Some folks say that we are to be in the world and not of the world. Other people say, well, you know, that's like telling somebody to go swim and don't get wet, you know. I don't know what that balance is there, but, but the story of Daniel gives me hope. Daniel found himself in that lion's pit because of the jealousy of the king's officials. We're told that that they sought to to find a ground of complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, right? So that they could find no ground for complaint or any other fault because, but but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he he was faithful. Faithful to what? Faithful to God, sure. But no, here I think more so that he was faithful to his job. He was faithful to the king. He, 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 he did his job the way that he was supposed to do to, supposed to do it. And no error or fault could be found with him. They, they knew that if they were going to attack him, they would have to find a way to exploit his faith. But here's the point. Daniel was an exemplary employee. I mean, do you have a heart for those that you work with or those you work for? Do you have a heart for those that you go to school with? Are you seeking an opportunity to witness to your boss or your teacher or your coach? Well, then I would hope that the first thing that you'd want to make sure that you're doing, if you want to witness at your job, if you want to be proclaim the gospel at your job, if you want to be a witness for God at your job, is that you would do your job well. You would be known for doing, oh, wow, I want to be like that person because they do their job so well and they care about everybody that works here. They're the first one to say a kind word. It means that we care about um, uh, being a great student. It, it, you know, if you have a, a teacher who's pushing back and, and challenging your faith, you know, one of the things, ways that you can witness to that teacher who's, who's challenging Christianity is to learn the things that they want you to learn. Or, or maybe calling you to be a reliable student or employee or teammate. You, you know that they know that you're always the one that you can go, that they could go to. Or, or what does this mean for us as, as citizens? I think it means that we care about the world we live in. Did you get that? It, it's not when, when we take our primary allegiance away from national identity and instead put God on the throne. That therefore gives us the freedom to then be good and healthy citizens. It it gives us the freedom to pay attention to the news in a healthy, God-honoring way. It gives us the freedom to vote in elections uh, in a God-honoring way, in a way that follows our heart. It gives us the freedom to be involved in our communities and operate healthy businesses. We support our schools and our libraries and our food pantries. I mean, what if Christians were known for caring sacrificially about their neighborhood? (laughs) We should be, right? 
It is precisely because our primary allegiance is to God alone that we are free to serve wherever he places us. And that leads us to the third thing that we learn from Daniel. We learn to pray. We learn to participate. And then we also learn to posture, or maybe position is a better word, I don't know. Daniel nailed this right out of the gate, by the way, in chapter one. Did you notice this with the palace master? This palace master had the responsibility to make sure that Daniel and his friends were like eating enough. And they were even given the the opportunity to eat from the king's table. And we're told, though, that Daniel resolved that he wouldn't defile himself with food from the king's table, probably, probably because of Jewish dietary restrictions, right? So he goes to the palace master and he explains the situation And then what happens? The palace master explains that he fears for his life. He fears for his job and his life. And so what does Daniel do? He listens. He listens. Daniel figures out a way not to compromise his convictions while also respecting the person in front of him. Daniel's attitude was not, that's not my problem. Daniel knew that fundamental to what it means to be a follower of God is that he was blessed and loved in order to be a blessing to others no matter where God has placed him. And so in that moment, he found a way to make it work. And that takes listening. Have you ever had a conversation with another human being like posturing yourself, positioning yourself in a relationship with another human being that you care about? And, And have you ever like made a point of not talking at them, but every time they stop talking, you you just, you like ask them a question and then they answer it. But then so often when when, when somebody asks us a question, what they're actually doing is they're looking for an opportunity to to, to talk themselves about the thing that they want to talk about, right? Um, We see that it happens all the time, but but, but what if we, we only spoke opinions? What if we only talked about our own experiences if we were asked for them? (laughs) You know, if somebody talks, well, what, what do you think? Oh, okay, now I can explain. But, but to sit with somebody and, and just listen to them. And when they stop talking, maybe ask a question. And then keep asking questions until they ask a question of you. So my question for you this morning, though, is where has God placed you? I mean, have you fallen for the lie that God can't use a person who has your life with your job, with your friends, and your kids, in your community, in your school. The lesson we learn from the exile episode, the, 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 the episode six lesson that we can learn from, from episode four is that God is still God everywhere. When you wake up tomorrow morning and you get up and you do whatever it is that you do, there will be a way of doing it to the glory of God. Maybe that just means that you're the first one to say a kind word at your office, at your job site. Maybe it means you're the first one to smile. Maybe it means that around the office, you're known for being the one who isn't interested in gossip. Maybe it means that, that you're honest, even when it makes you look bad. That you tell the truth even when you didn't have to. I know that we can so easily fall for the lie that says that the Lord's work is someone else's responsibility. 
It's the pastor's responsibility. It's the bishop's responsibility. It's, it's, it's those people that run the church. That's, that's whose responsibility it is to do the Lord's work. And that is a lie that comes from the pit of hell. The work of the church is the work of the church, the gathering, the assembly. My job as a pastor is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. The saints being you. My job is to equip us all, us, we, for doing the work of New Hope Community Church, of doing the work of the gospel for a broken world. So, so posture, position yourself as someone who is ready to do the work that God has given you to do. If your life, the life, you know, what, what we see in Daniel, uh, when, when the angel tells Daniel, go your way, go your way, live your life, Daniel. Yes, do it to God's glory. Absolutely. I don't ever want you to forget that God alone has your primary allegiance, but God has called you to your path. No one else's. No one else can give God your praises but you. When we live out our unique way of life, the life that he has given us and us alone, the gospel is going to be proclaimed in incredibly unique and powerful ways. I think one of the most important things that we can do to posture ourselves uh, correctly and posture ourselves in line with, with God's heart um, is uh, gather um, as a church. And uh, perhaps in, in, in no place is that more, um, uh, I don't know, important. That's not the right word, not important, but, but, but focused uh, than, than around the Lord's table. 